The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. It is always great to be with you. Never a paucity of subjects to talk about. Um, if you're looking for an American Muslim patriot, somebody who believes in what this country stands for, in what we represent, and the fact that our freedom, our liberty, our constitutionalism is the primary bulwark against Islamism, against political Islam. If you learn that from the show, then you have learned the most important thing. Every day there are vignettes, narratives happening across the airwaves and the media, stories about celebrities, individuals, wars, regional battles that I think embody what we're up against, embody the ideological battle. And week to week, you and I together can take those on. We've talked about celebrities before on this program. I talked to you about Khabib and the Mixed Martial Arts Association and the fighting UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championships, and how he all of a sudden, with millions of followers and viewers, in his fight with, in the championship, ultimately became an icon that was followed by millions of Muslims. He had an opportunity, and it was squandered. Now, ultimately, the UFC audience saw his background become an issue because he had been working with groups close to terror and other aspects. And again, missed opportunities for the media. And this week, it's no different. This week we saw, on October 25th, an imam out of Ireland. He published another celebrity that seems to have, on October 25th, posted a video with Sheikh Dr. Omar al-Qadri, a what seems to be, and I've not done much research on Al-Qadri, but seems to be a pretty moderate imam out of Ireland, uh, noted to be critical of radical Islamists, to talk about Christian minority rights and others. and so. Uh, but then, again, this is not about him. But he sat with the new Muslim convert, Shuhada David. Who's Shuhada David? Sinead. Sinead O'Connor. Yes. That is our generation, ladies and gentlemen. My generation, at least. Born in December 1966. She's uh, a bit over 50 years old and has decided to become a Muslim. Now, God bless her if that's her pathway to God. And I think many Muslims can, as anyone of any faith, to see somebody of notoriety come to their faith, we wish them well, and know that the fabric, especially of a country like America, she obviously did this in the UK, in, the Ire in Ireland, I'm sorry, where she's from, spends a lot of time in the UK, obviously, but at the end of the day, every person's pathway to God 
is theirs, is their own, is their own narrative, is their freedom. What is great about the West is freedom of religion. America's first liberty is freedom of religion. The Sheikh says, world-renowned singer Shuhada David. So she changed her name from Magda David, which she had changed because she wanted to abandon her parents, the O'Connors. Shuhada means martyrs. So she chose the name martyrs. And she proclaimed the Shahada, which is the statement of testimony of Islam. And she's happy. Showed a picture with the Imam talking about becoming a Muslim. And the media, the stories are ablaze. Millions upon millions of Muslims wishing her good luck. And again, this is not simply about one celebrity that has taken a very, if you look at their history, it's quite a a path of antipathy towards religion. As you remember in her, you may remember in her notorious visit to Saturday Night Live, she took a picture of the Pope, tore it up into pieces while she was singing a song about evil. Her famous song, Nothing Compares. And I think it's apropos, right? Nothing compares to who? Now she said to you. But nothing compares to who? As Muslims, and I've talked to you about this before on this program, Muslims are looking for, we have a, a paucity, a paucity of, of icons that are honorable leaders based on liberty, constitutional law, reformers who've stood up against theocracy, who've stood up against militancy. They may make statements, but they're not fixing the problem. I talked to you about icons like Muhammad Ali, who may have had a wonderful, charitable, philanthropic history and done many things to change the status of African Americans in America. Absolutely should be recognized. But as far as his religion of Islam, his footnote in history is that he used it. Now, used it might be a charged term, but to him, it was his belief that his Islam forbid him from participating in the war in Vietnam and serving in the draft that his country drafted him to participate. Now, again, I don't want to get into that debate other than to tell you that this is probably the most popular Muslim ever in America is somebody who avoided selective service, somebody who avoided the draft, avoided the uniform, and the Supreme Court sided with him. Now, if you look at the Supreme Court decisions on that, I've talked about this on this program, look back at that podcast, but they cite his interpretation of Quranic scripture that he cannot fight for Christians. And I cannot tell you how wrong that is. But that's another subject. But you look at Sinead O'Connor. Who do all these celebrity Muslims compare to? What was her pathway to Islam? A lot of people struggle with mental health issues. She made no qualms about the fact that she did. She was on Dr. Phil a few years ago, talking about her struggles, especially in the last few years since her Struggles in being with her, being alone with her 13-year-old boy. And all the personal 
issues she's had in her marriages and other things. And her politics set aside her position about Christianity and organized religion that many would find beyond offensive. In fact, NBC in that famous Saturday Night Live was almost sanctioned by the broadcasting service. I mean, you know it's pretty radical. Madonna came on a week later and Saturday Night Live and complained about how inappropriate it was <laughs> about her comments about Catholicism. And by the way, she was not Muslim at the time. But more recently, I think what's relevant, again, to every person their own, and Muslims want to believe that she represents a, a moderate take, well, her postings about Islam now are highlighted by icons of the hijab, which is fine. Now, again, hijab is fine. That's how she identifies with Islam. But she is... Let me, let me step back. Before she became a Muslim, she was a vocal supporter of United Ireland and called on the Nationalist Sinn Féin party to be braver. This is just a few years ago. In December 2014, it was reported that O'Connor had joined Sinn Féin. O'Connor called for the demolition of the Irish Republic and its replacement with a new united country. She called for Sinn Féin politicians, Jerry Adams, to step down because they remind people of violence. We can go on and look at the bizarre nature of a lot of her politics. If you look at some of her statements since becoming a Muslim, she said, this is the natural conclusion of any intelligent theologian's journey. All scripture study leads to Islam, which makes all other scriptures redundant. I'll be given another new name. It will be Shuhada. Shuhada David. She changed her Twitter profile to the Nike tick with the caption, wear a hijab, just do it. This is the issue to me. It's not about whether she chooses the hijab. It's a conservative decision that some can choose to do, whether some of us agree or disagree with it. But at the end of the day, it became her identity. And thus, the Islamist narrative, which is Islam is a political identity. You have to think back to folks like Yusuf Islam. Remember Cat Stevens. And we'll get into his history in the next segment. But I'm sorry. As somebody who's dedicated my life to reform, why do we keep getting these icons of folks who are disturbed and pick Islam as a avenue to correct and fill the voids of vulnerable individuals who were on the verge of psychiatric deterioration. How does that help the world to defeat the cancer within the Saudi Arabias, the Irans, the Egypts, the Turkeys, many of the mosques in the West and elsewhere? That is Islamism, political Islam, which is an identity movement. It doesn't help. It doesn't fix it. It actually perpetuates it, ignites it, and they become icons of persecution. She actually picked the word martyrs as her first name. So I'm sorry, this doesn't look good for reform. Again, God bless her. 
May her path to God be one in which she uses some of the same courage she had. You can call it courage. I may have disagreed with the disrespect she showed the Pope, but then again, in retrospect, we see all the problems that have come out that have been swept under the rug by the Catholic leadership, and some of that was probably deserved. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not Catholic. The Catholic community has and will continue to. We have much bigger problems in the Muslim world, which are dictatorship tyrants that are slaughtering millions and hundreds of thousands that are dying at the hands of Muslim tyrants that are threatening the West with dreams of the caliphate, of domination, of dividing the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. And we're looking, we're looking for heroes that will celebrate true freedom and secular liberty. And instead, I reminded you, the Ariana Grandes of the world, when their concerts are attacked, and it's called the Dangerous Woman Tour, they withdraw into political correctness. And don't mention Islamism, Muslim needs for reform or women's rights. And then we get new new Muslims who are icons and seem to be all about the beauty and forget about the cancers that need reform. Now, I will say, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, some of the smartest people in Islam that I've met that impacted my life personally were former non-Muslims, former Christians, former atheists, who found Islam, but at first were schooled in liberty, were schooled in Western ideas. Uh, I knew a, uh, uh, an individual from Sweden who I met at one of the conferences who was an expert on individual rights and freedom and liberty and then found Islam. This guy, I wish he was more vocal. I wish he was engaged. But personally, he was brilliant. So... If they're not Islamists first, they typically will bring Western ideas into their interpretations of Islam. But if the Islam they find is not then put into somebody who understands Western freedom and liberty, but rather sees the West as a some other socialist, communist, collective carnival then then ultimately their version of islam will mirror that identity movement and that seems to be what happens with many of these international icons that somehow end up muslim i think one of the jackson brothers also or sisters uh, decided to become muslim i think there are many celebrities out there but we still don't see any of them using their platforms to call to question the leadership, to call to question the need to reform. This is Zudi Jazz. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is always great to be this chat, just to talk about things in the news, things in the media that if we talked about through a different lens, might start to bring change, might start to bring people to look at being Muslim, look at the Islamic movements and politicization in ways that might actually begin to 
truly reform against the ideas that are the root cause of radical Islam, which is political Islam and Islamism. We saw this week Sinead O'Connor, multiple award-winning artist, a brilliant artist, musician, singer, that I think her best-known song is Nothing Compares to Me or to You. (laughs) Nothing Compares to You. And I think it's more about Nothing Compares Now to Who. When people become, when celebrities become Muslim, who are we comparing them to? How high are we holding the standard? I think it's a bigotry of low expectations. I think that we sort of see Muslims as sort of that little minority that we must protect and not criticize and forget the fact that you've got the Irans and the Saudi Arabias that last week we were talking about how the Saudis and their mafiaesque government uh, in their war with the Brotherhood just decided to kill and then dismember. And we hear this week they sprinkled his remains in the garden of the Saudi consulate general. So this is how business is done in Muslim-majority countries and what's happening. They tried to fight for freedom, and democracy is but a dream for some, certainly not for all, not for the Islamists and not for the dictators. But there is a small, a significant minority, I believe. Who knows? We'll see what history shows. But in Syria, we see repression winning over revolution. We see ISIS on the verge of being decimated, but hundreds of other Islamists, peri-Islamists, peri-Al-Qaeda groups growing. So the problem is not getting smaller, but I believe the Arab awakening is part of that solution, is that you need open societies. You need free discourse in order to reform, in order to have that conversation. You cannot reform against political Islam in repressive autocracies. It has to be in a free society in which you can confront these things. So when a popular singer like Sinead O'Connor decides to convert. We can have a frank discussion on whether this is a great thing or what she's going to do, what she does with this platform. So I've met many uh, new converts who, after decades of conversion, have written quite a bit and brought quite a bit to the discourse on discussion on Islam that is valuable because before they became Muslim, they were grounded and rooted in an understanding and appreciation of freedom and liberty. Some were from Sweden, as I mentioned, some Britain, some from the United States. Unfortunately, none of them have wanted or selected to be quite public in these beliefs. They write their own writings and read things and get involved in sort of behind-the-scenes counterterrorism conferences. But there are also those who convert for whatever reasons. Either they've had uh, tortuous personal psychiatric paths or they've come in and out of prison and, and found themselves protected through the collectivism of Islamists and Islamist movements. And this isn't unique. One of the most notable converts of celebrities was Yusuf Islam. Cat Stevens, Mr. Cats in the Cradle. Yes, converted in the mid-90s after his decades of notoriety as a Grammy-winning and award-winning 
billboard artist, singer. But then he converted and was told by initially by an, and he he says this story that he was told by the first people that he learned about Islam from that singing and the musical topics that were part of his history were haram or forbidden in Islam or not kosher. So he stopped singing. Decades later, he decided to start singing again. And he started helping Muslim singers mainly around the world. But now more recently, he started to actually resurrect some of his old music and sing it again. And I think some of that may be modernization. He's made many of the right statements after 9-11. There was a whole debate on whether when the Salman Rushdie affair came up and Khomeini had declared a fatwa, a religious ruling about the death of Salman Rushdie, whether Yusuf Islam had supported that. He later said he was taken out of context. That's not what he said. He might have joked about it, but at the end of the day, he flatly denied ever doing that. I will tell you the bottom line is, is Yusuf Islam has been a disappointment. He's headlined large ISNA conferences, ICNA conferences, Islamic Circle of North America, large Islamist movements that are Muslim Brotherhood legacy movements, Jamaat Islamiyah legacy groups like ICNA in the United States and elsewhere. And he has, he was forbidden from coming to the United States. And actually when he came, was detained in an airport. This is one of the prominent post-9-11 controversies that happened. But at the end of the day, there was a question about whether he was fundraising for Hamas, whether he was an apologist for certain movements that may have had sympathies for terrorism. I won't get into that debate other than to tell you that even the fact that we're discussing that tells you that he wouldn't. We formed our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, after 9-11 on the found, founding principle of the need to separate mosque and state. That Islamism was the true cancer that needed reform. And until Muslims countered that, we weren't going to get anywhere with the Al-Qaeda's and there were going to be other 9-11's and other threats to our democracy. And then fast forward to 2013, ISIS comes out of the cauldron of radical tyranny in Syria. And people start to understand, oh, that's why you're against the Islamic State or any Islamic State, because theocracy is the problem. But meanwhile, the use of Islams of the world, who had large platforms in which they could have been educating the masses about the threat of, threat of political Islam, squandered all of that, squandered and meanwhile lifted up the voices of the Islamist establishment, and that's the problem. You look at what Yusuf Islam contributed quite a bit to the sort of spiritual brotherhood and camaraderie, but also, I think, propped up and prevented real voices of reform at the conferences that he was helping fundraise for. Real women's rights. So you see now with Sinead O'Connor, her main identity within the minutes of declaring her shahada is talking about her first name being martyrdom and her hijab being her badge of honor. So the religion is about not countering theocracy, not countering 
the corruption and mafia of the leaders that are claiming to be Muslim, but rather of her fitting in to the most conservative elements in the religion, in the most black and white, literalist Salafi, as they call themselves, elements of the religion. That's what I'm seeing. And I have to tell you, we need, imagine if somebody with the talent, she's talking about getting her talent now to do the event. That's great. That would be a, a, a wonderful thing to see her begin to take something spiritually central to the call to prayer and give it her own twist. But I don't believe she will. I think she'll be towing the line of the Islamist establishment that she wants to please. We'll see. Might be wrong. She certainly didn't do that as a Catholic. She certainly didn't do that before, but that was part of the West's enculturation, if you will, of already disrespecting organized religion. The Arab Muslim majority cultures right now is that it's dominated and controlled by the religious tyrants, by the theocrats. So when you accept that version of Islam, you accept into that cultish belief. And I say cultish, this is someone who lo- I love my faith, but it is a cult when you believe that you come into the faith without being able to criticize the dons of the Islamist mafia from Tehran to Riyadh to Washington, D.C. So we'll see. A lot of opportunities for celebrities to push back. But when you compare, when you sing the songs of Sinead O'Connor, the Muslims who congratulated Khabib on his victory, didn't care that he came from one of the worst dictatorships on the planet that was giving rise to him only because they wanted to defeat Conor McGregor and defeat the white guys that were not Muslim. That's what that was about. That's not the Muslims I want as any type of role model. In fact, I'd like to see them defeated because they're destroying our societies, they're destroying our communities. And they're destroying the ability for free thinking. So I'd like to see Sinead O'Connor bring her free thinking into Islam to talk about women's rights and freedoms being a choice, the hijab being a choice, not being a requirement, a mandate of the faith. Debate? Is that a debate? Yes, absolutely. But it should not be an identifying part of the, uh, the same equality as the Shahada, which is simply the declaration of personal faith. Her background is complicated, as is Yusuf Islam's and Cat, or Cat Stevens. Oh, now he just calls himself Yusuf, by the way. But make no mistake, do not hold Muslim icons accountable to less criticism less transparency, less consistency than anyone else. Islamism will only be defeated as an ideology when we have folks with platforms of millions, like these singers may, begin to reveal that the human element of Islam, of Muslim communities, Arab communities, Indian communities, Indonesian, Pakistani communities, that the human element of that is not about any single faith. It's about God. It's about individuality. It's about freedom of choice. 
that any society in which you can't leave a religion, in which you can't choose or criticize it openly, and I think that's what I want to leave you with, is Sinead O'Connor made her name at the top of her singing career as being somebody who had no qualms about the deepest criticism and disgust for faith at a time in which that just wasn't done compared to today. People are talking about political correctness today every other day. Back in the 70s and 80s, that just wasn't discussed, and yet she did it. Now, she's become Muslim. I don't see any signs of that. Now, people say, well, it's only been 24, 48 hours. Let's see what's going to happen. Well, okay. So far, the video she's putting and the folks she's retweeting and other things are not the liberals in our community. <laughs> That's not how reform happens. This is Zudi Jasper on Reform This. And I'm, when we come back, I want to talk to you about the latest in the Tariq Ramadan story. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This, our last segment this week. Trying to do perhaps maybe one less segment every week, but a little longer segments and shorten the program a bit so that uh, we'll leave you wanting a little more program to tune in next Saturday. And uh, please, if you like what you're hearing on on Reform This, on one of of the Blaze Radio programs uh, that uh, is offered you on demand, please rate, review it, subscribe, and share. Send it to your friends. Tell them to subscribe. Share it on your social media platforms, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you communicate with the world. Rate this podcast at SoundCloud, at iTunes, and review it. I appreciate it. I'd be indebted. I could not do this podcast without your support. So thank you, and and uh, uh, always uh, love the time that we spend together. I want to end this week talking about, yeah, if you don't know who he is, Tariq Ramadan, he is one of the primary icons of Muslim leadership in the West. I started this, when I started this work back in 2003, now I've been working in the Muslim community, in mosques and elsewhere since I was a teenager in Wisconsin in the uh, 80s, but this work post 9/11, in which we founded our formed our foundation, one of the first people I did an interfaith panel with included Tarek Ramadan. He came to Phoenix, Arizona. He knew some of the folks here, and I was asked to moderate an interfaith panel between himself, one of the leading rabbis here in town, and a evangelical priest, Reverend, and it was interesting. I will tell you, the first time I met him, I had only been publicly on the national scene probably for a few months. He said, jokingly, he chuckled, are you with the Mossad? (laughs) That was his joke. As my family stood next to me, who did not find that very funny, in which it's the common joke for those who are threatened by the work that we do. They want to imply some conspiracy theory, some behind-the-scenes mechanism that makes them appear like the victim. And when, in fact, actually, I had not been that outspoken about his work yet, but I had 
obviously been very outspoken from the beginning about the brotherhood and the Islamist threat and the root cause being not terrorism, which is a symptom, but political Islam. Fast forward, he's written books on Muslim integration. He has snowed even thoughtful leaders like Prime Minister Blair, Tony Blair. He's snowed even David Cameron. He's had a perch at Oxford, perch in Sweden, and then proceeded to then do programs on press TV in Iran, the state theocratic television, was criticized for and actually had some of his academic credentials threatened as a result, but not too much. He's weathered quite the storm. He's a guy who debated Sarkozy, and during that debate he refused to unequivocally condemn Hadoud stoning and said there at least should be a moratorium on it as the Muslim world figures it out. He would not say it was wrong, exposing his true colors. I wrote a piece in 2010, an op-ed in the Washington Times, explaining why it was right not to allow him to the United States, how his slick demeanor And by the way, I told you I participated in a panel in which he was in, and then after a few years later, that was in 03 or 04, he was then prohibited from coming back because it was never really made clear by the Bush administration, but the Bush administration prohibited from travel. It was thought because of some of his commentary in French mosques that appeared to support Hamas, and Hamas obviously is listed as a terror organization. Well, Fast forward to 2010, President Obama takes office in 2009 and then proceeds quickly within a year or so to remove the travel moratorium and Tariq Ramadan then becomes the darling of fundraising for ICNA and ISNA and all the alphabet soup of Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups. Traveling and doing a tour from city to city about one of his books, And he's the slickest and I think one of the most threatening Islamists because he is truly the epitome of sort of Islamism 5.0. Obviously not the backward Salafi version that tries to go to the 7th century, not the modernization of it into the 8th and 9th century, not then the backwards retroactive spin that happened into the 12th and 13th century, not the Ottoman version and not the 20th century version, sort of a 21st century iteration. I call him the neo-Salafist version of political Islam. And he doesn't fall that far from his family tree as his grandfather is Hassan al-Banna on his mother's side founder of the Muslim Brotherhood. And you look at some of the details, some of the best writers writing on Tariq Ramadan is by Carolyn Forrest, a reporter that has followed him tirelessly. Her book, Brother Tariq, is must-reading for anyone who wants the reality of the radicalism, the the true taqiyya, sheep and, and uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing that is Tariq Ramadan. Then you fast forward to fast forward to last year. He was arrested in Paris and has then been in prison now, I think, for over a year for the rape of two women. And there are others. 
the empowerment of victimized women that the Me Too movement has had against the likes of Harvey Weinstein and others. And I think many of these Islamist preachers that endear themselves and develop godlike complexes, there are more hopefully to come out. And we've seen others in the United States that now are being revealed as having had illicit relationships with fawning students and others. But Tariq Ramadan's arrest really shocked a lot of the Islamist leadership. And they've said very little. But there were some revelations this week. I will tell you, one of the leading Islamic scholars in America came to his defense again using conspiratorial theories. Khalid Abu al-Fadl also has a long and sordid history, but also has contributed a number of books that actually are also part of the neo-Salafist, neo-Islamist interpretations of modernizing. He criticizes a significant portion of hadith. He's a guy that talks proudly about having a dog in his house, which for those of you who've studied Islamic theology is considered to be haram because dogs are felt to be unclean animals by some fundamental interpretations of Islamic history. But at the end of the day, Abu al even served on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, in which I also served a decade later, and he was criticized after his appointment, and I think rightly so. His position on Israel, his position on America's actions in the Iraq War, and others, I think, portrayed an Islamist lens for his politics that make it impossible to separate that from his religious theology. And we can get into Khalid al-Fadl later, but I think he proved his stripes like never before in a Facebook post he made a few months ago, basically saying that the attacks upon Tariq Ramadan are pure and simple part of the Zionist lobby to try to silence leaders in the Muslim community. That is nauseating. That is crap. And I think reveals how unserious Khalid al-Fadl is as supposedly a scholar of Islam and yet a conspiracy-wielding guy who says things basically fit for Alex Jones. Now, what came out this week that makes me feel like I want to talk to you about this? I think things are coming out in the trial, in the discussion. I don't know if the, actually the trial is at least evidence is being released. It may not be a trial, but whatever process is happening in Paris. Remember, Ramadan has been repeatedly, his attorneys and others have made pleas for him to be freed. He's got medical condition. He's, God knows what the truth really is. They said he had a thing from MS to other things, and I've never examined him or taken care of him, thankfully, but I, I, I don't see any evidence when I've seen him on television or elsewhere that the guy has any medical problems. But regardless... The French never released him. But he's denied, flatly denied any relationship with any of the women that have had the bravery and the courage to reveal that he attacked them, that he raped them. But he finally recognized this week before the co-investigating judges in the case that he had sexual relations with them. And now his lawyer said he they agreed to it and it was consensual. So he went from initially 
saying that he never met them, he didn't know who they were, to now saying that they had consensual relations and it wasn't rape. This guy's a, a ball-faced liar. And then there were text messages now that came out this week that show the messages exchanged between the Muslim scholar and both of these women, quote, demonstrate that the civil parties have lied and that the sexual relations were perfectly desired, according to his attorney. And even after they researched... This was revealed in the hearing that came after the revelation at the end of September from almost 400 text SMS exchanges between Mr. Ramadan, who's been detained since February 2, and Paula Emma Aline, dubbed Christelle in the media, excerpts from a telephone of the defendant by an excerpt appointed. There was a detailing to advance his sexual fantasies, violent and domineering, in the text. On October 9, 2009, in Lyon, he texted one of the victims, I felt your discomfort. Sorry for my plus violence plus. He acknowledged it in writing and then the day after their meeting also. The revelations of the messages, quote, have enabled him to recognize that he had sexual relations with Hende Ayari and Paula Amalin. Faced with other revelations, Tariq Ramadan conceded again a game of seduction by phone and internet, reaffirming not having drank a glass with his mythomaniac in the bar of the hotel. He filed for release and it was rejected. The case was initiated October 20, 2017 by the filing of a complaint by Mrs. Ayari, who revealed in a book that she had written as a fictional account that Mr. Ramadan was the gentleman, the aggressor, the violent aggressor that she had depicted in her book. So you look at these texts that are now becoming part of the evidence. Could it be fabricated? Dr. Abu Al-Fadl, could it be fabricated? 400 text messages between Mr. Ramadan and these innocent women? Or are you going to find now some way to blame the victims? What about the crimes of zina, the crimes that are reported by Mr. Ramadan's colleagues, Yusuf Kardawi, that lectures on his show on Al Jazeera, who was Ramadan's partner, was sort of being groomed. Kardawi was grooming Ramadan to run his center out of Qatar, the central nervous system of the Muslim Brotherhood movement globally, is out of Qatar, and Tariq Ramadan was going to be one of those main leaders. Now it looks like he'll be in prison for quite a while if these texts then further into physical evidence that a crime was committed. Now again, the rule of law should proceed. Should not simply be made on hearsay, but rather evidence. And these text messages, it looks to me, are some pretty hard evidence that there was direct communication, that he admitted to violence, and that there was far more. And also, it also demonstrates his dishonesty, his lack of integrity, 
his lack of character and his godlike complex that here's a guy who's teaching morality, here's a guy who's working with folks who slaughter and torture women across the planet because they're found alone with a man, because they're working, or because they date or wear shorter skirts or don't want to wear a hijab because they may attract a man, because they violate sharia. And here's a guy who apparently saw these two women who he apparently had affairs, he admits to having affairs with outside of his own marriage, admits in the text to having been violent. Now he claims it's consensual, but ladies and gentlemen, look up Tariq Ramadan, one of the icons of Muslim leadership in the West. And another pathetic example of who's leading our community. Another pathetic example. So, reform is not going to happen at the hands of misogynist demagogues, grandsons of Muslim Brotherhood leadership. We need to defeat this old guard of theocrats, of mafiosos that uh, weave lies and deceptions. And begin anew with critical thinkers, with real thinkers, believers in Western freedom and liberty and humanity. There's no better clinic of this than Mr. Ramadan and his supporters, his defenders, from Abu al-Fadl all the way to Yusuf Qardawi and his Al Jazeera perch. I talked in 2010 about why Ramadan should not have been left in the United, let in the United States. And those words stand today. I was called a hater back then. And now people are silent. Go back and look at what I said about the deception and the theocracy that Mr. Ramadan represented and why people should read Carolyn Ford's book. She's been one of the few reporting on this issue daily from France. Read the translations of her reporting and you'll see the real story coming out about what Ramadan actually is. Feel sorry for his children, his wife, but I hope the Muslim community learns something about what the Islamists really are in their heart, their godlike complex, their narcissistic belief that people are their tools, their weapons to use as they want. That's not Islam. If it is their Islam, that's the Islam we need to defeat with a more modern, free-thinking, Western version of a Muslim reform. This is Zudi Jasser. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Please rate share, review this podcast, and, and come back and listen again next week on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.